The Chicago Bears are back, and with it, so is Bear With Me, but now adding a brand new co-host in Football Guys, Nick Whalen, to help me go through the season in a show we're calling Bear With Us. Can't wait to get it started. Let's roll the first episode, a quick post-game recording regarding last Saturday's preseason game. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Us. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to Bear With Us. It's Bear With Me, but now there's a co-host, and that is Nick Whalen, working with football guys, an extensive coaching background. Nick, I am so excited to have you on board as we shift gears and start up a podcast network of our own. Would you mind telling the viewers a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped for two reasons. One, Football season is here. Like we don't have to like talk about free agency and the draft, which I love the draft, but still we're not we're not talking about hypotheticals. We actually get to see Bears players out there running on a field, which is good, whether it's Amen. practice or preseason. Um, and then yeah, doing a podcast because I mean I love talking about the Bears. I probably you know just annoy my friends and family talking about it so much. So it'd be nice to talk with you, and hopefully others will enjoy it. Um, yeah, background. Um, I've coached football for a long time, uh, 14 seasons, um, which makes me sound really old. I guess I'm getting up there, um, both college and high school. But that's, you know, that's that's in the past. So I, I just look at things from a coaching lens. So uh, if people think it's negative, it's just me as a coach. We're never happy. We always want perfection and you can't you can't ever get it. But uh, hopefully this season we get closer to perfection with the bears that's what i'm hoping for i love the fact that you have a coaching background i think it makes it a perfect fit because i know i love watching the x's and o's but everything that i do is self-taught so i can guesstimate on what a player looks like he's trying to do i can reverse engineer what i'm pretty sure a play call might be but you've actually been in locker rooms you've talked to football players i mean it's taken me a long time to wrap my mind around the fact that football players do not relate to my way of living nick they see the game a little bit differently and they see their own abilities a little bit differently than i would think that they would see their abilities and so i can't i can't wait to see what you bring this show as we talk through the ins and outs of Bears post games, Bears midweek, and everything in between, slowly but surely throughout the season. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, I think, because uh, honestly, football is one of those things where it's always evolving, always growing. And um, I mean, don't talk, tell my significant other, but like I spend a lot of money like buying curriculum because I'm still learning about, you know, I, this last offseason, I got air raid certified, even though I already knew about the air raid. I wanted to learn more about it. So like there's always things and and things that they change all the time. And that's why watching the all 22 of the Bears with this new scheme with what how are they implementing DJ Moore? And there's going to be plays just for him. That's that's what's so exciting is it's always going to change. And, and obviously this season with the Bears weapons, it's really different because we get the size, the speed, the talent. And now we can see how they use it on the field. Absolutely. And Bears fans, it's going to be a funny little podcast because this was going to originally be a post-game episode until I found out that my wife had got me in her concert tickets last night during the Bears game. So Nick and I are actually coming at you having just watched the All-22. And Nick, I don't know about you. P.J. Walker in the offense looked about as rough as they did on the broadcast on the All-22. What did you think? Gosh, I mean, really, it's it reminded me a lot of last year, which I don't want to think about Bears last year with 
you know, one or two guys always making a mistake. And when that always happens, every play, you can't get momentum. You don't get into a flow. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, we're hanging our heads. We're kind of blaming each other, which is, which is really what you don't want to see. Um, and, and honestly, at the end of it, PJ looked a little kind of dejected on the sideline, which is really unfortunate for, for a player that's had starts in the NFL that, you know, has rapport with DJ Moore, with Deontay Foreman, you know, um, but when you can't get the flow going, really, it's tough to evaluate anybody on the field. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because, look, we'll get to Tyson Badgett. I can't wait to talk about Tyson Badgett. But a lot of people are comparing him directly to P.J. Walker. And as I watched these All-22 reps, the entire offense looked really bad. But it didn't look like a quarterback that was explicitly holding back the offense, at least to me. The first play I remember was P.J. and Deontay Foreman. They Their mesh point was a little weird, so P.J. stepped on Foreman's foot stumbled and missed his checkdown opportunity because of the defense that the Colts were playing. Equinamia St. Brown dropped a pass on third down and then couldn't fight through contact. At least he drew a flag on a separate passing play. And like you're talking about, I mean, PG was doing fine until he took that sack. And I mean, you can't take a sack when a free rusher is coming at you. You see him, he slows down, and you have an opportunity to ditch the ball, but don't. That's on PJ. But like you're saying, it almost felt like you could see PJ Walker, who we could talk about him like he's an NFL veteran. This guy did take a tour through the XFL. Like, you know, this is maybe one of the biggest contracts and the biggest bets on him he's ever seen a team make. And maybe he feels like that opportunity isn't going as well as he wanted to and it almost feels like you can see him spiraling you know what i'm saying yeah and i i saw that too i saw his confidence kind of going down and then the, the biggest thing i saw was he started hesitating you yes. know which was a little bit of field's issue last year where it was like once you see it or you think and anticipate then you throw and he wanted to see it completely open before he threw and then the window closed for walker and then it wasn't open so yeah you were right on, on the, the one sack that he took it was slide protection and he was reading left and that's where the free runners coming that's where you want to see you don't want to see a blind side so and then he took the sack and i saw multiple guys open he could have threw it too um the, yeah the, the 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 boot where he stepped on the foot and he was off balance it was a bad throw, but also was he throwing it away? So it was, you know, we can live for another day. I could see that potentially too. Um, there, there's a couple though, where I, I think that he, he could have gotten rid of the football and he could have gotten rid of football maybe a little bit earlier. Like he stared down a read and then he threw it a little bit late or um, he missed Foreman on a, on an under route that would have been open, would have gotten a first down, probably not, but he would have gotten more yardage at right. least. So you compile all of these things and it's a lot of um, not perfect or great decisions. And then when you add that to what we've been seeing in camp, what we saw the first preseason game, and I'm not sure if you're a big uh, PFF guy. I don't know if the, the, you know, the listeners are big with PFF. I know, I know people think of it, but they're also watching the film too. And they have their grading system, but PJ Walker is currently the lowest graded offensive player on the bears for the preseason. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah, I think PFF personally is a phenomenal second opinion. I think the what I think can bother a lot of people about PFF is when they're treated as an empirical truth when it comes to player grades. But like you're saying, they're a great second set of eyes. And the fact that everything boils down to a number is always going to get objectionable because, I mean, just look at movie critic ratings or video game ratings. Everybody mm -hmm. gets mad about any number you assign anything. 
just about no matter what it is. But the directional piece of PFF, like is a player highly graded, lowly graded, I think is really important. And PJ is missing plays, but he's not making any plays that are what that are replacing the plays that he's dropping the ball on. And like you're saying, I mean, to me, this game doesn't speak some massive volume about PJ Walker. If anything, this game shows how little benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of people are giving PJ Walker because of all the different days in camp where folks are reporting that he looks like one of the worst quarterbacks in the Chicago locker room, which may or may not be saying something because you've got a rookie UDFA and you've got an NFL benchmark quarterback in Nathan Peterman. These are two guys you would hope that PJ would be able to beat. And so him struggling, it's not great. It's not great for him. No, no, not at all. And, and you talked about Peterman. Peterman, I mean, he's thrown a lot of interceptions in NFL action. And then, yeah, Tyson Badgen, who has no experience. So you think Walker learning different schemes, I mean, whether it's XFL or not, he's still learning lots of different offenses. And Absolutely. they gave him money. They invested in him. They believed in him. And now he's not delivering. And it's it's going to be interesting. I know people are going to want to talk about, you know, who's the QB two and how it's going to work out. But I mean, really his contract's going to come into this. If they were to cut PJ Walker uh, or he was to, to not make the team, uh, it would cost actually 350 K more against the cap to cut him versus keep him. And I mean, it's worth mentioning that really what I wouldn't be surprised if happens, because there's this new quarterback rule in the NFL where the, the Bears can basically bring a third quarterback that if the first two quarterbacks can't play, the third quarterback can immediately be activated. So instead of 46 active players on game day, you get 46 and a half, if you will. And I can't help but think, Nick, that P.J. Walker is pretty much he has next to no chance of losing his quarterback two seat. But the worse he plays, the more the line may blur between quarterback two and quarterback three. And if a kid like Tyson Badgett plays his way onto the 53 because of that doubt, it's not as hard to switch who the quarterback two and the quarterback three is by, say, week seven. If Badgett seems like he's looking that much better in practice, because the coaching piece of this that I would love to hear your take on, fans seem to forget that these guys they practice every single week. The coaches watch them and practice every single week. And that's a huge part of the ongoing evaluation of who they've got as a player. Well, that's even even the quarterback rooms, too. OK, how are they in meeting rooms? Are they asking right. the questions? Are they doing the studying? I mean, sometimes I mean, we saw it with, you know, Chase Daniel and a bunch of these other guys. They're like, why are they the backup? They're never going to get better. It's because they're helping the starter prepare for the games right. and they give good looks for the scout team. They're not going to develop into this, you know, the next Patrick Mahomes, but they're a good for what their role is. And their role is to help others learn. They're going to not be terrible when they go in there. I mean, and again, that's very tough to speak to because there's 32 starting quarterbacks of them. How many of them are good in right. quotes? 20 maybe, you know, and they, they would help an offense survive just like Chase Daniel did. Remember he had to come in against Detroit or mm -hmm. New York, a couple of spot starts and they survived, you know? So that's kind of what you're looking for with Walker, you know? Yeah. Is it second or is it third? You know, we don't know and how, you know, who's active and who's not. That's all going to be up for interpretation. But I think how they are behind the scenes is going to matter. What the biggest news is of this past game is that Tyson Badgett 
is now at minimum the third quarterback and not the fourth over Nathan Peterman. And man, did he cash in on his opportunity or what? Like that drive, not only was it 17 plays just plodding down the field slowly but surely, but what I thought was maybe even funnier, the more I watched him play, the more I realized that he was only running five, maybe six total plays. I mean, we're we're talking your West Coast offense starter kit. We're running slants and arrows. Some call it dragon. We're running spacing, especially hitting that out route. We're running screens. We're running RPOs, and that is it. We're not trying to hit a slot fade. We're not trying to hit some big post or big corner route. We're just working our way down the field with quick passes, whatever Tyson is comfortable with. And I don't know about you, Nick. I thought he looked very, very comfortable back there, especially given he's a rookie. Gosh, I mean, that's a lot of the things in quarterbacking has is, is been my specialty over my career of, of coaching and in meeting rooms and, and learning. And and the ability to process information quickly is the number one trait for a quarterback. They, I mean, and, and processing is like what you need to do, what others need to do, what the defense is doing pre and post snap. There's a lot going through your mind. Oh, wait, what's the snap count? Like you have to think of everything. And he is calm back there, under control. His feet, that's probably the next thing I always look for. They're always, he's in balance. I mean, how many times did he take that snap? He's waiting, and then he's reading that that defender. Okay, he went to the flat. I'm going to throw this slant right behind. Like, he is just calm and collected, which is awesome to see. And then the one thing that I like the most that uh, people probably aren't going to remember this part though is is right before the half he had that quick little drive 40 seconds he had a a small check down and then he got sacked and i was like okay here's a little adversity you got sacked things aren't going perfect now what next play stands back there he hits a basic or 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 a dig people might know and it was short of the first down but it was the only thing that was open when we checked all 22 and, and was on time and on rhythm and I was like, okay, boom, he stepped right back up. It wasn't just, okay, things are going great. It's fluky. And then something bad happens. And that's, you know, it's all bad, you know, it, right. he had another good. So, uh, I mean, we're, some things could have been better. Sure. But uh, like actually on his touchdown run, he bobbled the snap a little bit, but he had Roshan Johnson in the flat. And then as you talked about, it was mesh. And then behind that mesh is actually a deep kind of a spot route. We call it a Hank over the ball about seven yards in the end zone, I think was Webster open. He didn't see him or didn't throw it. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to scramble. But he does all these little things that I love. On his scramble, he pump faked. Why? Draw a defender, dive in for a touchdown. On the screen to Roshan Johnson, when he dropped back, he's looking right to the safety, looking down the field. He's not looking at the screen. If he looks at the screen, defenders are going to flow. He looks down there and looks over right when he needs to and drops the ball to help with the biggest possible gain for his back. Like he, he does not play like a rookie. And, and actually I'll say this later with Roshan Johnson, neither of them are rookies. I, I don't know what, you know, Benjamin button systems going on here. I think, you know, they're like probably like 38 year old veterans, but you know, they're, they're in like these 23, 22 year old bodies, but he, they look like they have played this game for a long time in the NFL. Even beyond that, one of my favorite plays was Tyson Badgett looks like on that screen throw. So I could probably spend five minutes, which is a disgusting amount of time to just talk about a release, talking about how fast Tyson Badgett was able to catch the snap and get the ball out on the quick screen to Nasimba Webster. But moreover, it looks like he, Badgett caught a corner blitz and checked to the screen. At least yes. it seems that way. 
Where That's what I saw too. He, yeah. The, the corner closes in. You see Badgett make some kind of a hand signal, and then you see Webster acknowledge it, and suddenly they flip to a quick screen, which I love the fact that the kid's allowed to audible up at the line. Maybe mm-hmm. he's not. And he just did it anyways, because Mm -hmm. that's what he would do. I can't help thinking that, look, this is the most hot button comparison that I think just about anybody could make, Nick. But right now, there's nobody more popular to talk about than Trey Lance, because it's the preseason. And the guy who San Francisco just traded three firsts for is a hot topic. Of course he is. But we've seen this quarterback, not Trey Lance, enter the NFL over the last couple of years, twice, Bailey Zappi and Brock Purdy, guys with an absolutely massive amount of college experience. Mo- like Tyson Badgett has more throws in college than PJ Walker, as I understand it, has in college, the NFL, and the XFL combined because he just got a ton of reps at Shepard. And you see it because I'll tell you, I don't think Badgett's footwork is textbook. When he's throwing the ball, like he'll he'll sling the thing with his elbow on those short passes. But anything within 10 yards in the NFL, a lot of guys don't use their lower body because they don't need it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is, I think, really well known for especially short balls over the middle. He'll just rip it with his elbow and get the ball out as fast as possible. Badgett looks like the zappy purdy mold of quarterback that we're starting to see enter the NFL of I don't think Badgett's going to be able to push the ball 35 yards downfield not let alone 45 like especially down the sidelines the tools probably aren't there to just unload some cannon downfield but in a west coast setting in a Shanahan style offense that loves to pick on linebackers and especially Nick a quarterback willing to throw the ball and ask his receiver through his play to go get the ball for me is a common quarterback that's starting to have success, especially in a backup role. I've, I'm really curious. Like, I did not expect to spend this much time on any offseason like podcast talking about a UDFA quarterback, but here we are, <laughs> Nick, and he really does look worth keeping. Yeah. Well, I, I, the first thing I want to acknowledge is uh, I'm thankful, uh, San Francisco, that you guys did draft Trey Lance and did yes. not draft Justin Fields. So that's the first thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, because he didn't have a lot of starts. And if you if you go back, I mean, I know this person went to the championship game a few times, but Mark Sanchez was also a one year in, in college at USC starter. And then came to the NFL, and I mean, it wasn't fantastic. And this is a thing that's been happening. That's one thing that I'm afraid of with Anthony Richardson, one-year starter at Florida. People are like, yep, just start right away, and it'll go great. You need reps. Think of any job that you've ever had. Were you better the first day, the first week of your job? Or was it a couple years in, and you're like, hey, now I'm really good with the rhythm. I'm good with all the people. I know all of the systems. It takes a long time to do that. And this game is complicated. Badgett talked about in his press conference how many different offenses he's been in. He's been in different types of offenses, and then you learn the concepts, and then when you keep going on, it's just like, okay, these are all the concepts. Now it's just what they're called. And, right. and you're you're 100% correct. He did audible to that screen, and there were a couple different plays. Um, there was one down by the goal line when they were kind of in a hurry-up situation, and he he threw a slant and he he passed on the flat and it was it was right in there too. Corner was there. It was the ball was right low. It was there. great placement. And on the other side, pr- prior to that, he did like a like a lasso type thing. And that's okay. You guys are running this. And I love that he's signaling that over there. 
and then he's throwing backside. So <laughs> I, I'm thinking he's like, hey, I'm going to mess with them, and this is the signal for over here. And then to start that drive, the the 92 yard drive or 97 yard drive, whatever it was, um, he had a he he went to his head can can, which I think that's either they're flipping the run or they're not going to run the pass. They're running right. the run. So I think he has the audibles already in there. So you you add that layer into it. This guy is so experienced and he's ready. And so is he ready to be the Bears starter? Whoa, we're not going there right now. Is he ready to maybe be the number two or number three if you need him to come in? He's st- making a case for that right now. Well, we don't need to spend more time than we have to talking about Justin Fields on our first podcast and bear with us, but I'll take this opportunity to do that. I think a lot of people love West Coast quarterbacks. Why wouldn't you? You look at most of the successful quarterbacks that are dynastic and winning Super Bowls over the last couple of years, and you're looking at Aaron Rodgers, you're looking at Tom Brady, you're looking at Peyton Manning. A lot of these guys were successful in West Coast schemes, so I think a lot of people have baked into their brains that, oh, West Coast quarterback, Hall of Famer. And that, you know, there's, I mean, we've seen a lot of that, but with Justin Fields, the funny piece that I think he brings to the Bears offense, I I just recently went through the Bears game against Atlanta in week 11, and it is wild seeing how defenses treat Justin Fields when he's on the field. You're talking about major resources devoted to trying to stop Fields' legs. And for as many people constantly, now that Lamar talk, the running back thing, has shifted over to Justin Fields, the irony, Nick, is... There is a legitimate question worth asking on how good does Justin Fields have to be throwing the football to take advantage of what his legs and what his athleticism are forcing defenses to do because he's making them so uncomfortable that he's cracking open extra space. He's taking guys out of like coverage and putting them into a spy role, putting them into some kind of edge defense role as they try to stop the Bears wide run game. Look, we could I could write a thesis and probably will at some point, <laughs> but it's more to say that Tyson Badgett, while a solid West Coast UDFA quarterback is not near the athlete and the special field tilter that Fields looked like last year. And obviously Fields has plenty to prove himself, but it would have been tough to prove it without better weapons on the offensive line and better weapons in the receiving room. And would you believe it? That's exactly what Fields has. So there's no replacing QB1 this season. If Fields goes down... I don't know if either Tyson Badgett or PJ Walker is going to like win games within this offense. Maybe I, you know, I hope so, but it's the NFL. It's tough out there but QB two. Absolutely. I think this is well worth the battle. And for crying out loud, if Tyson can win the QB two job, like I know that's every UDFA's dream, but what a dream he will be living. Yeah, no, it, it would be amazing. And, and you're right. I mean, teams treat, Everything differently when Fields is in the game. I, I, I tell you what, the Colts would not have only had four guys dedicated to, to rushing the passer, and everyone else dropping back, worried about the you know the the receivers, and had that huge lane. If it was Justin Fields, <laughs> it looks very, very, very different. different. But but yeah, no, it's it's exciting, and honestly, it's I and I don't know how you know how you feel, but I think Tom Brady is like one of these like complete Cinderella stories. Like it was just such okay. cool. He, he didn't come into Michigan as a starter. He was battling drew Henson all the way through and still sixth round pick. Like, and then, you know, he, he had this, it's just this magical ride. Now some people like they don't like, cause he won too much or, you know, whatever it's a, 
I think almost any man that loves football wants to play. We'd be like, man, I wish I was Tom Brady. Right. Like, wouldn't they have an awesome <laughs> life? It's 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 why we like March Madness. Like, oh man, I want this 12 seed to get through whatever. Like, he yes. was the 12 seed. He did it. So I think Tyson Badger, some of the 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 excitement is he's kind of like that Tom Brady type guy. He's kind of right. like this Brock Purdy now guy. And and you said Bailey Zappi, which you know, near and dear to my heart. I I graduated and I coached at Western Kentucky. He's a Western Kentucky awesome. guy. So, you know, we, we got a few of those guys. So it, it was cool to see them get through and you want to cheer for them. You yes. want to see those guys succeed. So, so I think that's why the fan base is cheering on him. And also he's damn good too. Yeah. So it's something good to cheer for. That's that out route he has near the 30 yard line where he put the ball out there. And I couldn't tell you which receiver it was, but he stumbles through his break, but the ball is on him. It's like, he doesn't have time to drop it almost like he doesn't have time to think about whether he's going to drop a contested catch because the ball is just stapled. It's out there. There's nothing to do about it. It is a completely different play style than what we've seen with Justin Fields. You could almost, if you wanted to go really far, Nick, you could almost go go so far as to say Badgett plays with almost an innocence to his game. Like he hasn't been punished enough by the NFL to not do it exactly like the textbook says it should. And the textbook says you throw, you start your throwing motion before he's even out of his break. So that's what I'm going to do. But you see these depth players that weren't coming through for PJ Walker suddenly start catching balls in traffic, catching contested balls, making functionally every play. And like you're saying, you're still going to see rookie moments like on the, the mesh play in the end zone. Everybody's going to talk about Badgett missing Ro uh, Roshan. I think it's a little tighter than we're making it because what betrays Badgett's all 22 is the moment Badgett shifts away from Roshan Johnson, the DB that should be jumping Roshan's route just ball watches his eyes. And so he just stops moving and Roshan looks, oh my gosh, so open the yep. moment he does that. And I don't, I don't blame a soul, but I can understand Badgett looking out there saying, he could jump this. I've probably got a better option inside. This is kind of an alert route anyways. So then he just plays quickly, makes magic happen. And kudos to the offensive line in that. I thought Doug Kramer was a little up and down. He's struggling with power. We've heard about that in camp. Jatiree Carter looked like he was whooping, but uh, like especially in the run game, but succeeding in the pass game. I'm going lightning round on the offense because we're going to move to defense here in just a little bit. Sure. None of the receivers stuck out to me particularly. Carlson has looked like a decent second tight end, but the tight, the Bears tight end room is so loaded. I'm just not paying him much attention. Alex Leatherwood to me is the interesting one because obviously he comes with a first round pedigree, but I swear, Nick, this guy never looks like he's got balance like his feet always look like they're all over the place and they're not amazingly fast like Doug, Doug Kramer when he's running around on a screen the screen to Roshan Johnson he makes 295 pounds look like a normal human weight I always love it when an athlete is able to move at that kind of size with what feels like power in every single step and so I'll I'll kudo Kramer to the fact that he looks athletic when he's in the run game but Leatherwood looks like he is trying to stay upright most of the time and I just I can't I can't get there right like the the talent is there I wasn't I, I didn't watch 
or drink down his Alabama tape. So I don't have some prior. I've only seen him in the NFL. In the NFL, he always looks like he's one solid punch or one solid move from his defensive lineman away from complete catastrophe. What do you think <laughs> about the rest of the offense? Um, well, just sticking with, with Leatherwood, um, he he kind of reminds me a little bit of what we got with Jervon Dexter right now. Like this huge guy, really good athlete that he's still trying to figure it out. I think his pad level is too high. He'll have a good play. Yes. And then he'll have a complete bad play. I'm like, what are you doing here, man? Or, you know, he'll he'll set too far in a pass set. You yep. know, like I, it, it should, the, the consistency is gone. Now, the only thing I'll give him is that he's been right tackle, left tackle. He's been all, he's been all over. So... Okay, maybe you're still figuring out left guard a little bit. Like maybe I'll give him that, but um, yeah, that's a little bit on him. I mean, right now, I mean, I know Lucas Patrick is out a little bit right now. I mean, he he would definitely not be my first backup guard. It would be Carter for sure, who is just amazing right now uh, to watch him in in this scheme. He's so quick. He goes at angles to get that second level linebacker like he's just on another level and that just springs big runs that we saw on cutbacks for for Roshan Johnson one thing I thought that was amazing that made me go back and watch the film and that's this is why I like the second opinion of, of PFF Larry Borum is the number one graded offensive player in the preseason for the Bears I was like Larry Borum and his yeah. his run blocking they have his 97.6. I mean, to give you an idea, I think that, well, not many. Well, let's say Carter. Car Carter's been dominating, right? Carter's 84.6 in run blocking. Right. Borum, 97.6. And so and so then I went back and I rewatched, uh, you know, a lot of Borum snaps. Just him, this game. And I only got one. I was like, man, that's a that, that was a bad play where he didn't help right. out. He thought a twist was coming. He kind of let him through a little bit. But. That's a big step. If you can get him coming up and he's going to be that swing tackle and he's someone you could at least stick in there if there is some some help. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, hey, I'll take a pissed off player any way it comes. And we know Larry Borum was pissed off when the Bears drafted Darno Wright because I know he tweeted something out. I don't have it off the top of my head, but he was not a happy camper at the idea that he'd lost his starting spot to some rookie. And it looks like he's playing that way in the preseason. Now, I always get wary when it comes to a second stringer dominating other second stringers because that's where we get the mm -hmm. Travis Gibson quandary. I mean, I'm that's not me hating on Travis Gibson. I really like him as a rotational third edge rusher that comes in like Marion Barber used to for the Cowboys and beats up on somebody who's been playing all game <laughs> with all the energy in the world. But in 2021... Travis Gibson had a 93 grade on PFF for pass rushing and edge, def or edge defense overall. Guys that are better than the second stringers that they play against are great. But just like we talked about, with, or just like you kind of mentioned with Carter, projecting them into a starting role gets iffy because the jump from a second stringer, Bears fans think about it this way, the jump from Bravion Roy to DeForest Buckner, Bravion Roy to Vita Vea is monstrous the jump from yeah. Travis Gibson to TJ Watt to Rashawn Gary to Aiden Hutchinson is monstrous but that's the NFL and if you can't hang against those guys you can't play in the NFL I mean Nick I wish it was kinder but there is no league 
where you get to face an entire opposing team second string unless they just got ravaged with injuries left and right. And it's a cruel league. It's why we see guys that have high or hot top shelf traits last so long in the NFL because if you are fast enough to get the edge on NFL linebackers like Quay Walker and beat NFL corners in open space, Valus Jones may very well get more run than anybody thinks he should, despite the fact that he can't seem to catch a punt. But it's it's complicated. And so with Borum in particular, I hope we see a step up. I will trust his anchor when I see it. Because anchor edge rushers that can convert speed to power have given him a lot of trouble. But one more bonus thing, Nick. Brad Biggs, as we record this, because we're recording this right now, it's about 10 p.m. Central Standard Time, is now reporting that Tevin Jenkins may very well be out for the first six weeks of the season. So we talked about Jatiree Carter. He may be getting earlier action than either of us saw coming. How about that? Wow. What's the injury back again? Leg 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 injury that's that's about all i know because i'm getting hmm. it secondhand from somebody who has some a sun time subscription so wow okay <laughs> wow well that's i mean that's well and then, and then obviously you have white hair and, and, yep. and patrick that are still already huh and maybe right. maybe you do what they did last year and you bump white hair out to left guard and you have patrick step up and play center that may be the route that they go i would hate it because i want the center to be a fixture on the offensive mm-hmm. line. It's totally mm-hmm. just me. I don't come from a coaching background. You tell me, Nick, but just fields has been taking snaps a certain way in practice the entire off season, especially since white hair in particular is a dead snap guy, which just means for bears fans that don't know this Lucas Patrick snaps the ball. Like he's a quarterback passing the ball in the shotgun. Cody Whitehair sticks the tip of the ball into the ground and just, hucks it backwards. The ball functionally doesn't spin at all. Maybe a half rotation to put the laces in theory on the quarterback's hands. So with two different snap mechanics, I mean, you can't really, Nick, I feel like be watching the football as an NFL quarterback because the more time you can spend with your eyes down the field, the better. So that's just that's just me. I would prefer well, it if the center stayed and you got a different guard in, but what do you think? Well, they also, I mean, the centers can get so well where they can time out how it rotates back to your quarterback and they'll get used to that. And then, okay, I remember every play when that laces are right here right. versus now they're right here. And that throws off, I mean, think, think of Fields. One of his, his negatives right now is throwing screens without laces. He's, right. he's not used to that. He's not good with that right now. That's either right or left and then his feet are off. They're not as accurate as you need to be. We all know how much Packer fans pointed out how far behind that pass was the DJ Moore. Oh my gosh, you know, one pass. <laughs> um, but now do that with a new center and how that's going to throw maybe every playoff. So I'm, right. I'm with you. And plus, anyway, Lucas Patrick did not look good last year. I know he had the injury and he was out there and he was trying to play. He didn't look good. And honestly, I mean, if we were all healthy up front and we're not right now, I was like, man, I wonder if he's going to make the roster with Carter stepping up and you don't know who else could step up. And plus, we have this thing called the the, the waiver priority right yes. now that I'm, I'm really excited about because I think we can turn over the last three to five roster spots quite a bit and maybe get some good talent in. But I would rather move Carter and have him in there because I want to get some some, as you're talking about, some some momentum of this is our unit and moving the least amount of pieces around as possible. Absolutely. Another thing that I would be watching if I was a Bears fan, so Tevin Jenkins obviously would be lost for a good chunk of the season so early that with the Bears number one on the waiver wire, 
I can't help but feel like, Nick, we tend to see one, two, sometimes as many as three decent offensive linemen get cut just due to cap casualty problems. Like offensive linemen can get expensive. And so when a team, especially if they think that they're about to be worse than they were the year before, wants to save some cap, plenty of times you'll see an older guard go the, uh, like hit the waiver wire. I wonder if the Bears would take a look at somebody like that, given that they're already down a starting offensive lineman. Maybe they'll just go with Jatiree Carter. That could very well be possible. Or they'll run with Lucas Patrick. Super possible. But Nate Davis hasn't exactly been uh, the least injured player ever. Neither has Cody Whitehair. Like, you've got guys that I'm not going to say you're expecting to lose them, but if you lose one this early in the season... You're definitely expecting to need another guy behind that group. So I wonder if the Bears would potentially look at carrying. They could either carry uh, nine offensive linemen or maybe they IR Tevin Jenkins and bring him back later in the year. I'm going to be really interested to see what polls does. But like you're saying, when you're not number fifth or you're not number five in the waiver priority, you're not number eight in the waiver priority. You're numero uno. I can't help but think that changes the math. Oh, 100%. And then the, the other potential possibility, which we're doing this all on the fly, which is awesome, by the way, is Dalton Risner is still out there. Mm-hmm. So there is a starting caliber guard that's a free agent right now. And again, we have the cap space. How much do you want to spend or how do you want to shift this around? But they could just sign him straight up and he's your left guard. Still develop Carter because we don't know how he is against ones. We know how good Risner is against ones. And that could be that could be it right now. It could be. We'll have to see what Ryan Poles decides to do, especially given that we are entering the third preseason game, which it seems like lately NFL teams are starting to treat like the dress rehearsal where you go one week on in week one, one week off in week two, one week on in week three. You take the lack of week four off and then bang, you have week one. But Mm -hmm. we'll see. Let's talk a little bit of defense, Nick. Now, I don't know about you, but there wasn't as much to, to pick apart on defense as I think I was hoping for, especially because I was watching this for Tyreek Stevenson and the Colts seemed like they just ignored him. And I mean, good for them. And and if there's any play that I think defines the preseason for some of these young kids, it's Tyreek Stevenson on what looked like a flat defense role in the end zone. Everybody's seen this play and he looks back, identifies where Minshew's going to go with the ball. Minshew throws a ball that no quarterback should because that's exactly the ball that's going to get you picked up. And Stevenson gets all the way up for it. I mean, ball doesn't go off his fingers. Ball just goes straight through his hands. All the hard work, all the good stuff that you're looking for from a DB, and then he reminds you he's not a wide receiver. What did you think about that? Well, I, maybe Stevenson's just paying Colts fans back for what happened with the Texans in week uh, 18 <laughs> last year, going right through the hands on that fourth down play. We are so thankful for that. Thank goodness. Um, to, to, to Fells for that touchdown. Um, yeah, I, I mean, and he made that dumb play on the sidelines. I mean, whether he knew that or not, and he was frustrated, I mean, I'm okay. Him having a little fire and doing something like that in the preseason, as long as it doesn't happen in the season. But, um, I was excited to see, um, Terrell Smith out there. Mm -hmm. Um, finally, they're very different though, you know, like, cause, cause one likes to talk and one doesn't talk at all. And plus the, the, I noticed, I mean, they're they're bigger guys, and that's the transition we're seeing. We're seeing these corners that are bigger and athletes versus Kendall Valdor, which is your smaller guy and an athlete, who I kind of feel bad for him, you know, being third string and likely going to get cut. But um, 
I think they both play decently, but they do offer a lot more in terms of cushion. Uh, I noticed, which I think they can tighten that up a little bit. A couple times, Stevenson, they, they ran unders where, so you're, you're the second or third receiver, the guy closest to the line, the uh, offensive line, um, would run a vertical. And then the number one, the outside guy would run underneath. And Stevenson had to navigate traffic and do great with that. Um, I think that's a, a, a learning thing uh from this game he needs to pick up on uh, but you're right they picked up on they picked on the slot corners a lot and they picked on the linebackers a lot in coverage and Gardner Minshew and Sam Ellinger they're starters in the NFL they've started NFL yep. games and they're just picking apart second and third stringers four stringers on the Bears I mean losing the game I'm like I can get it because these guys are just they're they've done it for a long time really really think of Think of Tyson Badgett, but add like five years on. That's those guys. Oh, yeah. And now I want to leave the door all the way open because I feel like I've been I give my take and then I ask you to give your take on my take so far. Defense, what stood out to you? Just top to bottom. What do you want to talk about? Um, I think the the two young kids on the inside improved. Um, I think Javon Dexter, he was, you know, the biggest thing people are, is he quick off the ball? Is he not quick off the ball? Like, <laughs> There's, there's so much more to this game than how quickly you come off the ball. Thank you. Sometimes, sometimes you want to be slow off the ball because you're going to do a twist or you want to read it first. Like there's so much to it. But anyway, you know, and plus he's a big man. Like he's not like the biggest gap shooting defense tackle. He's not going to be Aaron Donald or Tommy Harris. I mean, he's a giant man. Anyway, um, I think he played better. Um, I've saw him shoot gaps. I Sometimes I saw him shooting he was a little bit out of control and didn't break make the tackle in the end um i saw him blown off the ball a couple times but i thought he played with better leverage so so that's what you want to see you want to see some some progress there with him um uh, he even had a little i think i saw him have a little um uh maybe a little swagger out there that i, I didn't really see in the first game uh pickens made a couple of plays yes. which he was the one i was more worried about than dexter honestly because uh, I worry about him way more in the run game. I mean, they even had him as 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 a one tech or or a two eye, and I'm like, man, he's going to get that double team, and he did better than I thought. Uh, he walked an offensive lineman back into the backfield, so he just pushed him straight back. People, you think of like a bull rush, but think of that in like the run game. Like that's what he did, and made a good run stuff. Read a screen, which he wasn't really getting a rush at that time, but he still read it and made the tackle. So, and you want to see the hustle. So they both did that. And then in, in the regular season, if they were to get in, they're not going to get a ton of snaps. They're going to be in there for 10 snaps. And I want to give you all out for those snaps. So I think they made some progress. Um, in terms of DNs, Rasheem Green is showing me nothing. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if he's going to make the team. He jumped off sides. I saw them push him inside to three tech for pass rushing purposes. I'm not seeing a whole lot from him. Uh, Dominique Robinson, where, where did you go, man? Like I, I was excited about this athlete and sometimes you see it. He's like a little baby deer out there running around like all this, you know, but like you got to put it into something and, and, you know, he had those two sacks against the Niners or one and a half or whatever it was. And we, oh, he's going to be, and then it's not there. And you, you got, in my mind, he got jumped by, uh, Terrell Lewis and he's gotten jumped by, uh, Gibson. I mean, I don't know that he's going to make the team. So those are, those are two guys that I'm down on. Did you want to talk about anything defensive line wise? Yeah. I mean, to me, at least the hardest part about watching a guy like Dominique Robinson, I, I feel like he's developing a really snazzy long arm as he walks offensive tackles around. The problem is, is that Minshew and 
uh, Minshew and Ellinger are great examples of how NFL quarterbacks, you can't just win. You can't just win the, against the offensive tackle you're facing. You have to win fast because Minshew's going to get the ball out. Ellinger's going to get the ball out or he's going to run out of the pocket. And Dom Rob isn't winning quickly enough. It's one of the things that Terrell Lewis is doing really well. He's going to lose a lot of pass rush reps where he's frankly not going to get close. But when he wins, He's going to get around the edge. He's going to yank that corner and he's going to get on the quarterback quickly enough to not just create pressure, but maybe just maybe land a sack or a forced fumble like we saw him do last week. So I don't I don't tend to think Dom Rob's going to get cut. I think he's playing too high up right now in the preseason to get cut. Racine Green, maybe depends, because like you're saying, I'm, I'm just not seeing anything. I mean, I'm, my understanding was that he was brought in to defend the run relatively well and he's getting gashed in the run game. Which, mm-hmm. if that's really his job, it's not going well right now. I yeah. thought Pickens had two great reps on the goal line right before Tyreek Stevenson oh, yeah. drops that yeah. pick, where he he anchors down against a double team. One and the even better, Nick, he does it once against the left side of the offensive line. Then he switches to the right side of the offensive line and anchors against two completely different dudes. So you see Pickens showing a little bit of strength on back-to-back downs, which is great because he's he's a one technique. He's somebody that I would have expected to be a gap and a half player, best case scenario. But if he can improve that strength and apply the first step that he has, all that burst in his lower body to an NFL anchor, who knows? Maybe mm. the Bears find a little bit of something. I feel like yeah. Dexter looked like a player that was trying to implement new things. I don't feel like, let's put it this way, Nick, progress isn't linear. You could see Dexter was flying off the ball when he got the chance to, and he was trying to apply some pass rush moves, which is great. I mean, you can see the development process of a rookie happening. I don't think he did any better overall, but you can see the process is improving. We're making those tangible steps towards getting better because I think Dexter's realized or realized last week that what he did a lot at Florida, which was stand up straight and beat the tar out of the two guys across from you, that doesn't really work in the NFL, yeah. which is fine. Both of these defensive tackles are bought or they're what taken after the top 50. I always feel like the top 50 is in a different NFL class than the 50 after that. And what you're hoping to get from them is a different situation altogether. So to me, I'm excited to see these guys continue to grow. There, there's two things I got it because I now I'm remembering because there's so many plays, you know. There's a lot. Um, there, there was one play when Dexter came off the ball and went to hand fight right away. Yes, and just completely missed. I'm yep. like, okay, well, he's trying We're something, trying. You know, like whatever <laughs> it was. But then there was another one, a positive down by the goal line. I was like, okay, they're going to double team Dexter, and they didn't, and he walked back his guy. I mean, it was inside the well, five, maybe, or whatever. And I was like, man, that's a really good play, especially yes. when you know they're going to be low. They're going to try and get that leverage and push, and they couldn't. So, you know, you you see some of what you hope to hope to get consistently. But, yeah, I he is trying stuff. I mean, the one time he was just out of control on a twist, and he's like, oh, the quarterback's there, and then they like, can't tackle. Right. What I think is so funny about watching Gervon Dexter, because everybody talks about his pad level, and I feel like we got to get even more specific. This isn't me trying to be a football nerd. It's like a constant source for the truth, or search for the truth. Dexter right now is so much lower in his initial contact 
than he is in the two steps after that. Like, I don't know if you've seen this, Nick, but when he first fires off the ball, he'll win initial contact a lot, especially in one-on-one scenarios. But then after that, when he goes to maintain contact, he basically just stands up straight and loses all the power that he gained immediately. Again, this is largely because at Florida, he did not have to do that. Like, he didn't have to have perfect form because even in the SEC, like guards and centers were not strong enough to outfight him in a contest of upper body, pure athleticism, and God's gifts. But in the NFL, everybody pretty much has God's gifts, especially the offensive linemen. I mean, we're talking about some of the most outrageous athletes in America. There's just, they don't grow on trees, man. Like, well, and, and that's the one thing I think people miss. And the one thing that I was in the most awe of when I was, uh, coaching I was in around college guys is you know high school o-line those are just the biggest guys like okay you go play o-line you know and you know you watch film or whatever if you do have high school games there's just piles of guys and whatever (laughs) you're in college they're not on the ground because they have really good feet then you go to the nfl and they're like ballerina feet but they're the strongest dudes out there you're like those guys are freaks, but I mean, there's freaks everywhere, but like, you just don't realize how good athletes they are. That's what they talk about with, with, uh, Darnell Wright so much is how much he could be off balance and still anchor and win. And you're like, that's crazy. Darnell Wright in particular had a rep last week that I loved because it, it looks to me like Wright's working on a new kick step. That's normal for the NFL, especially coming out of a spread Bryles style offense. That's going to I mean, kind of run a bunch of gimmicks, which is fine, which is fine. But so Wright goes from short setting to these NFL long arcs. And he had that rep where it looked like he was about to get the corner bent on him because the defensive end got all the leverage that he would have expected. But Wright slapped his right arm onto his outside shoulder and just yanked him back in front of him because his upper body is so strong that he was worth taking top 10 in the NFL draft. I mean, when people talk about draft pedigree, I think they can do it too much, right? Is Tyson Badgett dramatically worse than a quarterback taken in the fifth round or the seventh round? I mean, it's funny that we bring up the conversation because DTR looks like a beast and I still don't know why he fell the way that he did. Like, I really don't get that one. I thought that one was obvious. And frankly, I thought the mock drafts were lying to me personally. But the outside of guys like that, like Purdy and Zappi and DTR, etc., how much worse is he really than a quarterback taken in the fourth, fifth round? How much worse is Tyson Badgett than Hendon Hooker when everything is said and done in the NFL? We'll see. But the top 15 guys tend to have alien traits, like inhuman traits to their game with Wright's hands being one of them. And in Dexter's case, he is an alien athlete that basically doesn't know how to play football yet. And I'm excited that Pickens is showing the development already that he is because he has played more football. Like we needed to see something from Pickens a little sooner. One way he could get on the field. Right. And if he can hang a little bit in run defense, and I've already seen in a couple reps where he's applying that first step to get into a run gap and hold that run gap, which is great because he's the only he's the backup nose tackle. And if Andrew Billings goes down, God help us. Like there just isn't really a second one on the Bears right now. No, that's no. a space eating nose tackle, which is honestly kind of a roster hole and somebody that I'm wondering if the Bears are going to look for as cap casualties start to come down. But Overall, I can't help but think that it was a nice step forward from two project players and a reminder 
to anybody out there that's expecting Gervon Dexter or Zach Pickens to have like five or six sacks each, calm down. Like we, I, I love you. We, I'm excited about these guys' future, but they probably won't be great rookie contributors. And if they are, I mean, Nick, I don't want to use the P word, but near the end of the season, as the Bears are making push for a certain something, if they do land in that great dance, maybe then the rookies will have figured something out if they stayed healthy all season after 17 to 18 weeks of practice. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Yeah, and that's that's why I said earlier, like you're hoping early on, like, okay, 10, 15 snaps, you know, that you can, you can give the, the starters some rest because they're going to rotate. Defense line rotates a bunch. But you're just hoping they figure something out and they can deliver, okay, you're going to be in on this pass rush. And so that, that way they mentally can be ready for it because there's so many different techniques and so many different things that are happening in the NFL game that didn't happen in college. It's it just the, the levels and talent gaps. I mean, I just can't even explain to you i mean i have a story i could tell you at some point i don't know you know how much we don't go off the wall here <laughs> but it's just that they'll I'll, I'll briefly say this one okay i i at western kentucky i had scrimmaged the um the actual basketball team they need a guy to run with them i was there in the <laughs> summer for, yeah, the, the 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 team was there and i was there because of for football you know and i just wanted to shoot around and they right. like oh well you can you can come and just run you know whatever and so i'm six foot you know i'm I'm okay. okay. I played in high school. I played in intramurals, you know, whatever. And they made me look like I've never played basketball in my life. <laughs> okay. that That's high school to division one college. And it's just all, only more from there. So like when you're like, oh, I can do that. You can't do that. Okay. And like, it's just everyone, you know, the armchair quarterbacks like, oh, well, that's easy. It's not easy. No. They're all freaks. Like, I, I mean, just from what I experienced, their arms and speed was everywhere. So that NFL, and then you're saying the the top 15 NFL guys. That's where those guys keep getting opportunities. Think of Jadavian Clowney, yes. right? He's never figured it all out yet, yet he still gets $10 million everywhere he signs because, well, he's got these traits, and we know he can do this or yep. this, you know? Like, like they'll, they'll make it work. But um, the other guy I just wanted to mention, um, DeAnthony Jones made a couple of plays and had a little bit yes. of excitement there. And I know it's against third stringers, but I was like, all right, man. Like, I mean, hey, you got to make plays at some point. And he years, made some plays. Years ago, Alex Bars looked like Joe Thomas in the second half of preseason games. And I got so excited for Alex Bars and Ian Bunting. And Bunting didn't make the team. And Alex Bars ended up being, I mean, for what he was, serve. I mean, he's a UDFA that made the roster. That's a huge accomplishment. I mean, I think I, he's starting somewhere right now. I want to look this up. I think he's starting for the Raiders. I'm looking might it up. Might be. And I, I don't have a bad word to say about Bars because, like, in the sense of what he has accomplished. But then he went up against Vita Vea, and I'm pretty sure he gave up five pressures and two sacks in like his first action when he replaced James Daniels. And that was in like half a game. Like the difference between that third, third string and the first string is a whole world of difference. So I personally try so hard not to get excited for that anymore. Cause I, I just need to see proof. I'll tell you one play that was wild. 
was that Micah Baskerville recognition play where he created what I think either was an interception or it got called back. But the play in the first drive where Baskerville is dropping into a relatively deep zone. I think the Bears basically just called cover two the whole way down the field. And he recognizes that basic route is coming or like an over over the middle post and just breaks to it from halfway across the field, leaps in the air and gets his hand just in the way enough where you could tell the quarterback was trying to throw around him. Ball mm-hmm. gets tipped, lands in his DB's hands. Baskerville has been fun. It feels like he's been all over the place. I don't know if he's going to make the roster, but you could tip your hat to a guy who is playing his heart and soul out. And you could see the energy in these preseason games from him. Uh, well, real quick, Alex Bars is starting. He right oh guard gosh. for the Raiders. Good so, for you, Alex. So, yeah, so get that bag. Joe Thomas, here he comes, Raider fans. Get pumped <laughs> for that. All the the two Raiders fans are listening to this right now. Um, a little, a little bit, maybe of a hot take. I don't know. I think Baskerville's playing better than uh, Noah Sewell is right now. Yeah. And I know Noah Sewell <laughs> is trying to figure it out as well. But he can't tackle people. And it, when you're not good in coverage and you can't tackle, man, how much are you going to help the team right now? And so Baskerville at least is better in coverage and he can make some tackles. And, you know, I don't know if that's one of those things where, like, Sewell goes on the practice squad or he's not counted on right no away. Way. But, man, I, I, I see a difference between those two right now for sure. Only reason I'm saying no way is because former five-star, like, fifth-round draft no, pick, no. It's, it's too notable. Like, okay, let's let's use an example. Tyson Badgett may get cut, and Bears fans will throw a massive, massive fit. And then it wouldn't surprise me if he falls to the practice squad. Like, if the Bears cut him, they're going to have a relatively good idea that they think he's going to get to the practice squad. And then everybody is going to say, Nick, they're going to say, how on earth did this guy not get claimed? And it's because trying to teach a quarterback your offense so that he can sit on the roster with, like, four weeks I mean, not even four weeks. By the time that he would be getting picked up, you'd have a week to go before the NFL season is lighting a roster spot on fire because you like what this kid may become. I think that's going to be a huge risk for 31 NFL teams. And it's part of why I think a lot of teams are going to get away, what feels like they're going to get away with murder as they take their training camp superstar, cut him, and still land him on the practice squad. Mm -hmm. With Sewell, because he's former fifth-round pick, he's got a little bit more eyes on him. And like you're saying, I mean, I think Sewell looks slow in coverage. He looks slow to the run fits. He looks like he's thinking too much out there. And I'm not surprised. He went from a 4-3 to a 3-4 back to a 4-3. Yes, it's one thing to say that you've played in a lot of systems, but he's he's got to rewire his brain to be fast to the football. And they had him rushing the passer some too. Yep. Like, he's all over the place. So, yeah, no, I – I mean, but that's what a lot of rookies are doing right now. You know, that's why when they do make a play, yes. when Travis Bell makes a play, it's like, all right, kid, you're making a play instead of thinking too much. I can't help but think that guys like Baskerville and guys. Okay, so let's use the silliest example, but I am going to make this comparison. Okay, so that kid, I couldn't tell you his name, that got drafted by the 49ers is the latest in a long, 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 exhausting list of kickers that get drafted way too high and fail cataclysmically at least so far his his history isn't written but roberto aguayo's was and plenty of others before him and so you suddenly start looking and you're like why do the highly drafted kickers keep failing and pressure is a real thing especially for these kids i mean they're not even 25 unless you're jones uh but even then he didn't get drafted at 25 he just turned 25 in the middle of the season like it is wild i'm just about 30 
And 23 feels so long ago that I'm surprised I was able to tie my shoes and drive my car at that age. Like the amount of things that I know just a couple years later blows my own mind. And so when you look at a guy like Micah Baskerville, he's UDFA. If he doesn't take the risk, if he doesn't play as fast as he possibly can, he's definitely getting cut. With Noah Sewell, somebody took a risk on him. Somebody like somebody stepped out, Ryan Poles, and said, you, we're drafting you. I know you had a bad season in your in your senior season, but we are drafting you with this pick. Come make it worth it. And I don't know about you, but like there are going to be plenty of guys out there that are going to tense up. They're going to hesitate just a little bit. They want to be right. You know, they don't want to crash the run and end up getting thrown right behind or getting ear hold on some kind of slant or something. They don't want to step back in coverage and be late to their run fit. But Sewell looks to me like he's just thinking too much. And I would hope that that speeds up for him. But with the way that the Bears are churning and burning at that linebacker spot and the early reps that Baskerville's getting, I wonder if they see him as a special teams demon. And I may need to go back and rewatch the broadcast because I don't get special teams all 22. But if Baskerville's making plays on special teams, I mean, that's the way to make the roster, man. Yeah. Yeah. No. That, and you're, you're right. And uh, the one, the one thing I want to note on the, the pressure, you know, and, and, and overthinking that's expectations, you know, like, Oh, they, they have expectations of me doing this and I can't fulfill them. I mean, you could think of, I mean, quarterback's the biggest one where that's the biggest mind game. Think of Zach Wilson, you know, yes. like he's actually playing not bad this preseason when right. there's no expectations of the kid. So like that, that gives a little bit with you. And, and what one pressure situation that I'm okay with right now is uh, the, the the team the team to the north? They have a rookie kicker, and he's been struggling a bit in camp and in preseason. So he did he made like a fifty yarder uh, last night or whatever. But either way, I'm okay with that pressure. Kicker is so funny because the moment your kicker misses, it's as if it spells doom over the game. <laughs> like Cairo Santos missed extra points that mattered. Like you go back and you look at those games, and it's like the Bears the Detroit game. Yeah. They lost by one, and you're like, you've got, you've got to be kidding me! Like you've yep. absolutely got to be kidding me! But mm-hmm. it, it happens. It's like it gets in the team's head. I mean, the, it reminds me of uh, that feeling that every football fan feels, right? When your offense gets to the red zone two times early, and you kick both times, and you're like, and we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose by like three, and we could have had, or we could have had seven. Instead, we had three. But point being. A kicker like that, I, I can't help. Not that I'm going to wish doom on the Packers. I'm kind, I would kind of like it. But uh, inconsistency at kicker. If we learn anything from Eddie Pinheiro, that's the worst. I'll take oh. a kicker that's money from 40 in and can't make 50, like what the Bears kind of have with Cairo, over a guy who might miss from, from 38, for all we know. Because honestly, Nick, I see so many people out there. I consider myself a nerd. I'm not going to turn in my nerd card because I can't. I can't call myself a coach. Uh, I've I do not coach. But those field goals really do seem like they matter for the locker room and for the sideline. Like being able, you tell me, but being able for the offense, especially when you stall around the 25 where you weren't knocking on the door of the end zone anyways, being able to take points and walk away from them and fist bump and high five and kick off seems like it does the team a lot more good than especially missed kicks. I, what have you seen there? Well, yeah, I mean, momentum's a factor. We we know that. The, the other thing that's that's different than that, that has a bigger momentum factor, yeah. that is way more popular in the NFL right now, 
is going for it on fourth down. And yes. that's why sometimes those those 50 some yarders you see these guys up oh, well the analytics, you know, I, I don't know, how, you know, don't want to offend anybody, but the analytics say to go for it. Thanks, you know, say do this. But now it's way more it's to go for it. And when you want to think of I thought they were going to outlaw this and they didn't was the 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 quarterback shove, the tush push, whatever you want to call this, <laughs> this the quarterback sneak, you know, rugby push whatever. They are they are shoving your way to first down. So that way, fourth and one almost seems like an automatic now. And right. then you have plays off of that, which is what we saw Cole Komet take that and toss it to Fields. It. And there was no one out there. And if Fields was healthy, I think he houses that. I know he, he has has he's the, the safety, but if he's healthy, I think he houses that. And so, you know, and then I saw Travis Etienne. They did that in the playoffs. They had a, a, a jet sweep, I think, off of that or a toss. So you're seeing that evolve where like those fourth and ones, those are easy now. Okay, now what about fourth and twos? And you're going to see more and more teams go for that. When you don't get that, though, boom, the Get momentum to. is just oh, crushing, crushing. Mm-hmm. So that that is a thing for sure. But I'm with you because I think that the more they're going to go for that, when it's fourth and six, now you're going to kick that. I think yes. all, automatically. But when it's fourth and short, now I think more people are going to go 100%. for it and we'll see how that goes. The the main thing I'm always thinking about is the drives because everybody, everybody always used to talk in, what was it, 20, 2020, 2021, maybe even like all the way back to 2018. Fourth, fourth down talk was frankly – too common within the football community. But most people were talking about fourth and extremely short. For me, a kicker's value is on fourth and five plus. Like the ones where the offense goes, yeah, yeah we didn't get it. <laughs> That's it. And you're sitting there on the 34, you're on the 28, you're on the 19 or something, and you're like, hey, yeah, that we took an L here. Let's take the points and go home. And the guy who's what, 190 pounds wet, trots onto the or like trots onto the field, gets you three points, and everybody slaps five. Like those, you just can't miss them. Like, I know it's cruel because obviously kickers are going to miss eventually, but those are where, to me, it is mission critical that you take the points that you can get or else your offense come away with straight nothing. So it's right. nice to me to hear that Cairo, he's making PATs, he's making the field goals offered to him. I love that our week one opponent's got a rookie. I love the fact that we got a rookie coming into an outdoor stadium against the team that, like, they hate the most. It is actually kind of a lot of pressure, like in relief of Mason, Mason Crosby. Oh, we, we know the wind, the wind, you know, Robbie had that wind down. This rookie going to have the wind down. You it's know? hopefully he doesn't, but hopefully, hopefully <laughs> maybe this is even more important. I don't want to spend enough time talking about the kicker that the Packers do miss a field goal and beat us 27 to 13. And I, I don't say that because I'm down on fields, Nick. I say that because I am so scarred from early bears Packers games that I just have to see it. I just, I just have to see the bears beat the Packers, not to believe it, but to really like jump on the chariot, like lash the uh, rope and say, let's go, let's go to the playoffs Mm -hmm. because that's a huge, huge game. I think for this bears season. And that has nothing to do with this preseason game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no no i mean i i'm i'm up here in wisconsin and and i tell you what i mean it's 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 like i'm in i'm in the trenches you know and and they're and they're just throwing you know dropping bombs from planes continually over the last 38 years of my life um 
you know, we had a good run in the eighties there in early nineties, but after that hasn't been great. So yeah, no, I'm with you there for sure. Um, any other linebackers or DBs you want to chat about? Nothing specific. Not at this point. Uh, whoever's number 38. I, I'm so hard on safeties. I learned safety watching Eddie Jackson and he taught me that Adrian Amos was bad only for me to realize Adrian Amos is definitely not bad. Uh, there are much worse safeties that can play out there. And oh, so the, every time I see a safety, I can't tell if this is an Eberflus coaching thing, uh, like an Allen Williams Eberflus coaching thing, but they don't drive on anything underneath them. It's like they really do Madden style drop to their spot and stand there. And it is driving me bonkers because you're not going to defend anything doing that. You're just going to allow deep catches, especially against NFL quarterbacks that are gutsy enough and savvy enough to just lace the ball out there, get it over your cover two flat defender and stop you. But hopefully that changes. Maybe, maybe for all I know, that's just uh, something that they've been doing. What in the, in the preseason with the young guys who are trying not to get caught out of position. Maybe I don't need to worry about the fact that Brisker did the same thing pretty much all last year. Uh, and you know, it's definitely, it's definitely not, it's definitely not a, that something that's baked in with the defense and how they're teaching their safeties. That, that would be crazy. Right. But well, the, the, the number one thing that worries me on this team outside of prior to this podcast, that I'm learning about, you know, Tevin Jenkins, you know, maybe, maybe it didn't happen. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens with that is backup safety scares me right yeah. now. It's scary, especially because Brisker has been hurt and Elijah Hicks. I mean, you were a seventh round pick last year. There wasn't a lot of expectations on you and you're really for special teams and you've done okay filling in, I guess you got some experience, but man, I'm hoping one of these waiver claims is some veteran safety gets dropped and they pick them up. And that way, if we have to put in either spot, it's a guy that's reliable. You know, I mean, think of the Tashawn Gibson was just off the scrap heap, you know, and then people could pick him up. And, you know, somebody like that is, I think, a huge need on this team right now, even if it's just them bringing them in and they're going to help teach the other young kids while the starters go right. do their thing. Right. I, I'm terrified, but I'm not going to make a big fuss out of it because somebody's got to get hurt for that to matter. And the moment that they do, they're going to come in. And especially if the Bears are just playing spot drop, there may not be as big a drop off. I mean, obviously you switch from Eddie to anybody. This could be a huge drop off, but you're <laughs> Nick talking to like the Eddie Jackson guy uh, to the point where I think I'm, I think I'm too over it about it at this stage. Maybe I need to calm that down, but I digress. Uh, I, I really want to see a jump from Jaquan Brisker. I think he made a lot of hay as an underneath coverage defender, and that's great. But for me, when a DB covers the flat and specifically covers the running back running into the flat, I don't really think much of that kind of rep because you're a defensive back. You should be able to cover a running back, especially given how big some of these guys are. I mean, a DB should be able to cover Roshan Johnson in space, to use an example. There's just too yep. much of a weight difference. And by the way, we didn't really talk about Roshan. He, you did. He looks great. I'm getting back to the point. I want to see safety take a step, step forward, but I also can't envision this defense. Uh, give, we are watching Jack Sanborn in the middle of this defense. Tremaine, Tremaine Edmonds is like twice his effective size. Like oh my I always try to use the term effective size in coverage because it's like how big is the width that your feet and arms can cover. And Edmonds in Buffalo had a huge effective range. I mean, it's one season because he's had three, four other seasons where he was not doing that. That's for doggone sure. But it's in a similar enough defense that I really have a lot of I, I am very optimistic 
that Edmonds will be able to bring over that same coverage skill to Chicago. And that's going to take a lot of load off the safeties because it's going to force a very different selection of throws that that opposing offenses are going to try to attack the Bears with. So I don't know, Nick. I guess part of me is like, we'll see. We haven't seen anything close to the starting defense yet. I mean, we're seeing two starting defensive ends, and they're nothing like the starting defensive ends for Chicago. And Mm -hmm. the starting defensive ends for Chicago aren't even anything league special. Like, because defensive ends in the NFL are aliens, and Yannick Ngaikawe and Demarcus Walker, while very, 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 very talented, are human. And that's okay. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I do think that the defense is going to try to be more of an ensemble this year. And I am excited to see what they do. If for no other reason than I'm soul bound to this team. So I, given that I don't have another choice. Yeah, I'll be upbeat about what looks like it could be an electric back seven. I I just need the front four to give me, give me something, you know, know. the front four scares me the most. But speaking back to Edmonds, I mean, I'm hopeful on him too, for the other factor of, TJ Edwards is right next to him, and they both have been the middle of the defense, have so much experience. And between those two, I'm hoping they can cover up a lot, and Kyler Gordon. And I'm big on that because of RPOs, which we saw Bajent do a great job with, or play action. I just hope that they can cover up a lot of the, the run mistakes that the front four might make or whatever else. And, I mean, Edmonds also came into the NFL at age 20. Like, Like size and athleticism freak, but age freak too. He's 25 right now. You know, I think he's 25, right? The other person that's 25 right now is, I think is like Christian Watson, I think is like 25 or 24 right Right. now. Like like he's an older rookie, you know, like people don't think of like the age matters because then your body develops. Like all those reps, some of those guys got in college. Edmonds was doing in the NFL starting. He's like, well, hopefully the AFC East is nice to me. And they weren't. And then he finally figured it out. And I think last year is when he fi- it all kind of came together for him. And he was the best coverage linebacker in the NFL per PFF. And he keeps stacking on that. That's why I think that the transition is going to go really well for him. Plus, Eberflus, that's what he does. He develops right. these linebackers. And he's never really had crazy good edge guys. He had Buckner in the middle, but he hasn't really had the crazy good edge guys. So that's why I'm hopeful that they can kind of make it come together. And the one thing, you know, that came, that I thought of, I could picture in terms of the, um, the size difference that Edmonds has versus, you know, maybe, maybe Sanborn would be think of Sanborn's neck. He's got this crazy huge neck. You know what I mean? You're like, I don't even know, like it's just shoulders and then head like crazy that over Edmonds whole body, like his arms and just, you know, it, it, he's, he is Brian Erlacher. In the middle of this defense. Ooh, those are big words. I sure hope so. Because, I mean, it doesn't help anything that, like, Brian Erlacher was that player that I grew up with. So I have a completely outsized opinion of who number 54 was. But it should be an awful lot of fun. If there's one other player that I do want to, I, I did want to talk about because you brought up youth. And I think this is so important because you'll hear all the people who are smart football fans. They'll talk about you got to draft younger players. You got to draft younger players like you can't draft him. He's too old. You got to draft younger players. Uh, Nick, I would. Here's a pop quiz. Okay, so Cole Kmet is the second youngest tight end, I believe, in the NFL with like that's considered a receiving threat. Right. Um, So you've got Kyle Pitts. He's the youngest. Cole Kmet is tied for second youngest with a certain player. We're talking like top 32 NFL fantasy options. Can you name the player that he's tied with? 
Pat Fryermuth. Good guess. That's what I would have thought too. And it's what I guessed when somebody pitched this question. It's Dalton Kincaid who just got drafted. Cole Kmet has been in the NFL for now three seasons and he's only 24. And I'm not the biggest Cole Kmet guy. But suddenly my brother, who's really into fantasy, was like, well, yeah, but did you realize that tight ends breakout age is like 26 and a half? And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Because as the physical body of a man matures, why would, for a, such a physical position as tight end, like, why would you win when you're 23? When you develop all the muscle mass that makes you, like, the prime of your career, it wouldn't surprise me if Cole Komet's best days really are in front of him. And I'm very thankful that Buffalo was willing to develop Jermaine Edmonds, get into a cap crunch, and have to let him hit the free agent market. <laughs> because I kind of think he's in the same place of he started in the NFL so early that it's like the current NBA, right? Where he hits the NFL way too early, like probably two years too early for what his body and his experience can handle. But now that he's, let's say, figured it out, everything clicked for him, and especially in an NFL that hates linebackers, right? Um, it is It is fun to see what the Bears have in him, what the rest of the roster that the Bears have in Frankly, just what they could build. But I'm starting to ramble. We're at the hour and 15 minute mark. Nick, we got to wrap this thing up. Any final thoughts you have on this preseason week as we head into week three? I think that we saw guys that struggled in week one play better in week two. And we saw guys that didn't play well, you know, in, in week two that played well in week one. Like, I think I think a lot of guys flipped. The only guys I feel like that were consistently good were Roshan Johnson, who, you know, if we want to take a minute on that, is just he's so patient and makes such good decisions and has the contact balance that I would really be shocked if he's not the starter by the middle of the season or so. Uh, because again, he's their guy. Kill Herbert, they didn't they inherited him. I like Deontay Foreman as well, but he's not the pass catcher. I think I think eventually we're going to see J Johnson be that guy. But uh, besides him and like even like Travis Gibson, Gibson had I think one pressure that I liked this last week, but he had a huge week one and week two he kind of went away. So you know you want to see a little bit more consistency. Um, and then man, it sounds like the Bears are going to make some moves this week. So so hopefully we we stay healthy. Um, and then we'll see them hopefully pick up a guard or, or fix that spot. Yeah, health is health is obviously the big question when it comes to NFL preseason. Everything's fun in games until you lose a starter, which is part of why you see so many starters not play. And so I can't help but think that right now things are going pretty much according to plan. I had a little hope. I think the fan in me was hoping that Dexter would be able to hit the NFL and play a little bit stronger. But the fact that he's getting caught so high isn't surprising. It's one of those things that the first time I saw it, I went, oh, yep, that makes all the sense in the world. Don't know why I thought that wouldn't have been a problem. So I, everything is fine. If anything, as big of a bummer as the Tevin Jenkins injury is, it's also the injury that I was expecting the most, the soonest. Yep. And so seeing it now, I think, pushes the Bears into a position where now they have time to react, right? If you're going to have this problem, at least you didn't do the Ryan Pace thing of acting like it wouldn't happen, only for it to happen, and then doom the season. So the Bears are, you know, they got some work to do. I mean, this is a team that just went 3-14, and 14, and sometimes, as much as I love this Chicago team and think that they could do really great things, uh, we forget that. 
we lose touch with the fact that if the Bears win six games next year, it would be an objective improvement in pretty massive strides. And I have got them right now, Nick. Like, I think eight and nine makes a lot of sense for them. Hey, the ball could bounce and they could be 11 and 11 and six. The NFL is weird that way. They could lose as many as probably six games. I doubt they'll lose five unless Fields gets hurt. Uh, well, lose. They could win as few as six games. I doubt that they would only win five. But we'll see. All this to say, I guess, I'm so glad that the important players seem healthy. Mooney certainly seems like he's moving with speed. Chase Claypool and a lot of the rest of the Bears that are currently walking wounded seem like they're more precautionary tales than anything mm-hmm. else. But I don't know. So. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, with da- Davis just got back and Walker just got back in practice. I mean, that that leaves a little bit of hope as well. The um, the the, the talking about the record. Um, that sounds like something we should do for a show. Uh, you know, I think that that makes an awful lot of sense. But this one, we could split into two episodes. We won't. We'll leave it as a nice, chunky first episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the, let's call it the first inaugural episode of Bear With Us. I'm Robert Schmitz. He's Nick Whalen, And we will see you next time. Bear down. And thank you so much for bearing with us. Bear with us.